0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 81 of the Draft Atlas, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. You believe. I'm Chris Tripodi and joining me as always is Tony Pauline, fresh off his Disney cruise as we get ready to break down the Southeastern Conference, which nobody actually refers to by its full name and everybody just calls the SEC and really that's probably for the best. We'll hit the first half of the conference on this week's show, starting at the top with the defending national runner-up Alabama Crimson Tide and finishing with the always intriguing LSU Tigers. But first, Tony's going to provide Disney with a little bit of free advertising.
1: Uh, as as well I should, as I'm a, I've been a stockholder of Disney for some 20-plus years, but uh, had a nice 11-day Disney cruise with my wife, daughter, and three of her friends for her uh, 16th birthday. It was our 11th Disney cruise. Yes, I'm a big Disney fan. Uh, so it was Chris McPherson of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, who I know listens to these podcasts. Uh, and it was great. I mean, uh, went through the Southern Caribbean. I got tanner than anyone could ever imagine which was always the goal and uh, highly recommend it. We're not a big cruise family, but we enjoy Disney and it is expensive, but it is worth every single cent and came back just in time for the full schedule to begin in the NFL preseason. And before you know it, the college uh, season will kick off. So uh, we'll finish up these couple of uh, conference reviews on the top prospects and uh, we'll take it from there. Chris.
0: All right, and before we do get to some of those reviews and here with the SEC, we're going to begin on a sadder note here that many of you probably already know. Longtime NFL writer Don Banks passed away this week after paramedics were called to his hotel Sunday. He had just finished covering the Pro Football Hall of Fame inductions in Canton, Ohio. He was only 57 years old. Now, Banks started off covering the Bucks and the National Football League for the St. Petersburg Times in the early 1990s. Eventually, he moved on to the Minneapolis Star Tribune as the Vikings beat writer. He was then hired by Sports Illustrated in 2000, worked there for more than 16 years before he was released in 2016. Recently, Banks wrote for Patriots.com, but was actually lured back to the newspaper business. He accepted an offer from the Las Vegas Review-Journal to cover the NFL and also the Raiders' impending move to Sin City. Tony, you knew Don well from your days at SI.com, so I know this one hit you harder than most. Tell us a bit about your relationship with him.
1: Yeah, well, Don and I basically started at SI.com just about the same time in 2000 when I began providing scouting reports uh, for the site. You know, I was friends and I was friendly with Don for years. We used to sit next to each other at the NFL draft when it was at Radio City for years and we would have a blast talking about things football and otherwise, I would usually start hearing from Don immediately after the Super Bowl when he would begin doing mock drafts and he would ask me for help or opinions on on the prospect front. In in the days when the combine was not as big as it is today and the quarterbacks and receivers worked out on Sunday, Don would always leave Indianapolis uh, early in the day Sunday, then give me a call to get the scoop on how the workout went so he could pencil his articles uh, on the workouts. Uh, After my contentious split with SI.com in 2013, which ended up in a courtroom, Don was actually one of the very few people from the site who continued to socialize with me. Others, not so much. But even a few months after the split, when I saw Don at the uh, JW Marriott in Indianapolis at the Combine, he came over to me and we spoke. He was just a good down-to-earth guy. Uh, We talk about our families. We talk about his sons, my daughter, before any mention of football. I actually spent a good amount of time with him this past February when I saw him at the combine in Indianapolis in the media center. And, uh, you know, we caught up on a lot of things. It was the first time in a while I had seen him because I had been so busy previous years with the Eagles. And, you know, it it was hit or miss whether he was going to be there after uh, he split from SI.com. Uh, But, you know, I I was shocked to see when I read what was happening. I was on vacation. I saw it on Twitter. I I had no clue what people were talking about until I uh, searched it out. I mean, literally way too young for someone who was genuinely a nice guy.
0: Now, we do have to move on here, and we're going to take a look at the SEC. A whopping 62 players from the conference were drafted back in April. That's almost 25% of the entire NFL draft, and more than any conference we've covered so far, between the Big Ten the ACC, the AAC, and the MAC, those conferences combined for 92 draft picks. Those 92 draft picks were just 30 more than the SEC, and that's four conferences, which tells you all you need to know about the strength of the SEC. Put nine first-rounders into the draft, three each from Alabama and Mississippi State. Seven of the nine were defensive players, Jonah Williams and Josh Jacobs being the exceptions. The conference had at least nine picks in five of the seven rounds. So it's not surprising at all for the most loaded conference in college football. It's true year in and year out, and it's going to be more of the same in the 2020 draft. But the first round, Tony, could be quite a bit more offensive.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to lean more to the offense, but you're still going to have a good number of quality defensive prospects. I mean, if you look at my SEC board right now, and you include all draftable players, the count is 12 potential first-round picks coming from the SEC and a total of 32 top 100 selections. So now think of that. If my board goes as predicted and the draft-eligible players who are expected to enter the 2020 draft eventually enter the event, the SEC could literally occupy one full round after the first and second days of the draft are complete. That's amazing.
0: Now, what's definitely amazing about the SEC is the consistent success of the Alabama football program. Obviously, last season, they lost to Clemson in the College Football National Championship. Actually, the second time in three years that they lost to the best team in the ACC. But the Crimson side still had 10 players drafted. Three of them came in round one. The aforementioned Jonah Williams and Josh Jacobs, in addition to number three pick, Quinton Williams, to the New York Jets. The only round that didn't have a Bama player drafted was the seventh and final round. And the Tide are going to litter the draft with prospects again in 2020. On our board, there's three players with first-round grades, quarterback Tua Tagovailoa and wide receiver Jerry Judy. Our first team, all SEC picks from last season, linebacker Dylan Moses was a second team choice, as was offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood, who we actually grade as a fifth-rounder. But obviously, Tua Tagovailoa has everything you want in a top quarterback prospect. He has a strong, accurate arm, good athletic ability. His teammates tend to rally around him. He commands the huddle. He's always throwing to open receivers, though, which can always make it slightly more difficult to evaluate a college quarterback because windows get far tighter in the NFL. One reason that Tua always has somebody open is because Jerry Judy is his top target. Now, Judy's under 200 pounds, but he has great speed and quickness, easily separates from defensive backs, and he doesn't drop passes. He's probably one of the top wide receiver prospects to come out of college since the loaded 2014 draft, and he has some fun draftable running mates as well in Henry Ruggs III and Devonta Smith. Now, running back Najee Harris should have the backfield to himself with Jacobs and Damian Harris gone. Alabama does have a tendency to limit its top backs workload throughout the season, but Harris is a borderline first round talent on our board. Defensively, Dylan Moses was a Buttkiss Award finalist, an elite athlete at 6'3", 235 pounds, led a stacked defense with 86 tackles last year. On each side of Moses are Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis. Jennings is a two-year starter who's been overshadowed a bit by the talent on the Alabama defense over the past couple seasons, but he's really going to have a chance to stand out in 2019. Lewis, on the other hand, missed the 2018 campaign with a knee injury, missed 10 games in 2017 with an upper arm injury, Alabama babied him a bit through spring practices after his surgery last July, but all indications are that he'll be ready for the start of the season. A couple other guys of note here, and there's more than these guys, trust me, but defensive end Raquan Davis and quarterback Trayvon Diggs are a couple other potential second-rounders to watch. Diggs has his own set of durability questions, and Davis really needs to get back to his pre-2018 level of play to match his grade on our board. I mean, we could record a whole show about Alabama's draft prospects. I kind of feel like I just did, but we have 15 guys with draftable grades on our board. Tony, who are you watching most closely from the Tide?
1: Yeah, 15 guys with draftable grades, and eight of them have uh, anywhere from early third-round grades or earlier, or I should say maybe a better way to say his first-round grades till the early third round. And you said it right. I mean, we could do a whole show on uh, on Alabama. I, I absolutely love Dylan Moses. I, I think he's a faster version of C.J. Mosley. He's a, a linebacker that has a three-down game. He's terrific against the run. He's outstanding in pursuit, going sideline to sideline. Very good in coverage, especially facing the action. Can run with tight ends or running backs. Shows excellent instincts. Finds the ball in the air. Not the biggest guy in the world, but you don't have to be that big these days to play linebacker in the NFL. Uh, I, Dylan Moses right now, people talk about Tagliavoa and Jerry Judy. I understand that. Dylan Moses right now is my number one rated uh, player from Alabama. I think he's probably the most NFL ready. I think he has the least amount of downside risk, and I just love his game. I like Tagliavoa a lot. I mean, I, I think he's more than just an athletic guy with a big arm. I think he's a smart and patient passer. He spreads the ball around. He sees the field. He goes through progressions. He does the little things well. Not the tallest guy in the world, but as we've seen you know, the past two years with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, you know, teams are willing to take the shorter quarterbacks. And really, in my opinion, Tagliavoa grades higher than either of those guys uh, because I think he's he's probably a, a stronger arm version than, than Baker Mayfield, and he's a more complete quarterback than Kyler Murray. So I would expect Tagliovoa to go very early in the draft. You mentioned Judy. Rayquan Davis, I kind of uh, agree with your sentiments. I thought he played better in 2017 than he did in 2018. Now, some people say, you know, he doesn't rush the passer because Alabama doesn't ask him to. And I agree with that. That was my whole, uh, my whole complaint when people were downgrading Deron Payne. But I, I just think that Raquan Davis just looked too big last year. He didn't show the same mobility they did in 2017. Uh, and I think he's got to get his game back on track. I love Trevon Diggs. And if it wasn't for the injury issues, which basically I believe kept him on the sidelines for seven games last season, Trevon Diggs would be graded as an early first round pick for me. He's got outstanding size at six one and a half, two hundred pounds. He runs in the low four fours. He uses that large frame to beat down opponents. He's got excellent ball skills. What I love about Diggs, who's the younger brother to Stephon Diggs, the receiver, is he's got great football instincts. He makes easily makes plays with his back to the ball, gets his head around, locates the pass in the air, terrific ball skills, but the durability is the question. If Travon Diggs stays healthy and has the year that I think he's capable of having, he's going to vault into the top half of round one, no doubt about it. Anthony Jennings is not as highly rated by uh, NFL scouts as I have him rated. I got him as a second round choice. You know, he's a lot like Rolando McClain, more of a two down in the box type of uh, player, but is terrific against the run, stacks well against the run. And I think in the right system, like that Patriots type system, he's going to do well. You mentioned Terrell Lewis. You know, before his injuries, I thought Terrell Lewis was a top 75 pick. You've got to downgrade him because of the injuries, but he's got excellent measurables. Now only going to be a fourth-year junior because he redshirted last year. We have to see if he can get back to where he was prior to the injury, Um, but he's a terrific player on the field when he's healthy.
0: Now to say Arkansas isn't on Alabama's level would be quite the understatement. I'll say it anyway, but after three straight bowl appearances from 2014 to 2016, they've won just six games the past two years. Only one of those wins came in conference play. But in the end, they're in the SEC, so they still had three players drafted on the third day in April 2020, looks pretty similar for the Razorbacks. Tight end Cheyenne O'Grady led the team with six touchdown catches last season, tied for the team lead with 30 receptions, should be a full-time starter this year after making only five starts in 2018, and could end up being the team's top receiving threat. Defensive tackle McTelvin Ajem, two-year starter, the first Arkansas defender with 10-plus tackles for loss in a season. Since Dietrich Wise back in 2015, solid three technique and has some room to grow at six foot three, 294 pounds. Linebacker Dijon Harris was third in the SEC with 118 tackles after making 115 in 2017. Got good size at six feet, 245 pounds, always around the ball. Tony, who intrigues you most at Arkansas?
1: Yeah. And scouts have three of these seniors graded as draftable uh, and their top guy is Cheyenne O'Grady, the tight end you mentioned, who's also my top guy. I've got him as a six round pick. You know, he has the measurables. He's got the size speed number six, three and a half mid to high two fifties. He's got long arms and big hands. He's a solid pass catcher, but he's got to pull it all together and he will be the main target, especially the main tight end at Arkansas that has a history. Of putting good tight ends into the NFL draft and into the league. So he'll have an opportunity this year. If he answers the questions and he meets expectations and then he tests, well, I think he's a guy who could move up draft boards. Uh, McTelvin Agam is a guy who shows flashes, but has never really put his, the pieces together as far as I'm concerned. I like Colton Jackson to tackle a lot. A lot of scouts don't even gra- have him graded. I think he's got excellent size, excellent length. He's fundamentally sound. He's got growth potential. I think he's a guy that's got a good amount of upside. I have him right now graded as a seventh rounder, even if he's not drafted. I could see Colton Jackson being a practice squad player in 2020. And keep an eye on Ben Hicks, the SMU transfer, who transferred to Arkansas to be with his former coach. If you watch the, you know, the uh, film... Hicks is a smart, dependable game manager. Uh, And I think that sort of quarterback is one that ends up at the uh, Shrine game and then could end up in the late rounds of the draft if he has a good season. Scouts grade him as basically, not even as a street-free agent, I think he's got the potential to uh, develop into a late-round pick. Uh, A smart quarterback who's back with his head coach who did a good job with him. So keep an eye on Ben Hicks.
0: Now, Auburn won its first bowl game since 2015 as Jarrett Stidham and Darius Slayton just dissected Purdue's defense. Now, those two were two of Auburn's six players drafted. Just one Tiger in the top 100, though, and that's third-rounder Jamel Dean. This year, the Tigers have two potential first-round prospects. Many expected defensive tackle Derek Brown to declare last season. He's a massive presence on the inside at 330 pounds. The second-team All-SEC selection in 2018. Good tackle numbers for defensive tackle as well. Because he can penetrate the backfield, he can make plays laterally, and he also holds up at the point. So he's a complete player whose size might make you think that he's more of a nose tackle gap occupier than he really is. On the offensive side, tackle Prince Tega Winogu is entering his second season as a full-time starter. He's got great size at 6'7", 305, an excellent athlete, and someone we expect to continue improving, which he'll have to do to end up going in the first round next April. Jack Driscoll plays right tackle with Tega Winogu on the blind side. He started all last season for Auburn after graduating from UMass in three years and transferring. He's a bit smaller and less athletic than his teammate on the other side, but still could end up being a day two pick. The rest of Auburn's prospects are likely third day guys. Tony, how do you break down the Tigers?
1: Yeah, a lot of potential uh, in Auburn. I've got three top 100 picks right now, but they've got three or four of the guys that if they have good years, could move up draft boards. And basically what it means is that Gus Malzon, who was on the hot seat, has really got to perform this year and has really got to develop these players. I love Derek Brown. Derek Brown, I had him graded slightly lower than Raquan Davis off the 2017 film going into uh, 2018. After last year, Derek Brown, I have a much higher rated because uh, Raquan uh, Davis, I don't think, improved this game. I saw nothing but improvement from Derek Brown off of what was a terrific sophomore season. And you're right. I guess it was it was a bit surprising he didn't enter the draft. Maybe he figured last year's draft, which was loaded at uh, defensive tackle, his draft stock maybe suppressed a lot. But, you know, you said it right. He is a much more than just a gap occupier, more, much more than a, uh, a guy that you're going to put on the nose to occupy blockers. He makes plays. He's athletic. He's quick. He moves well laterally. He's intense. He's not a guy who just gets by on natural skill and size and just overwhelming people he he can uh, change direction and chase the action and pursuit he can make the tackle in space he can rush the passer he can get down the line of scrimmage and outside the box Uh, if Derek Brown improves upon what he showed last year he's going to be a top 10 pick there are some scouts that right now grade him as a middle first rounder but when you look at his measurable six foot four three hundred twenty five pounds a guy that's gonna run much faster than people think. Uh, there's nothing but upside here, and he's shown consistent improvement. I also like to tackle a lot, Prince Tego Winoga. I like both tackles, but I like uh, Winoga significantly more, and I think he's another potential first-rounder. Excellent size, very athletic, bends his knees, uh, a guy who's fundamentally sound, can slide off the edge, Horrific in pass protection. Shows some power and pop in his game uh, as a run blocker. A lot more athletic and a lot more nimble than his teammate Jack Driscoll, who I think has some limitations. Not the biggest guy in the world and is solely a right tackle prospect. But Winalgo, I think, is is a first-round prospect right now. Not as high on Marlon Davidson as other people are. I think he's more of a guy that shows flashes rather than consistency. I also think that he feasts and benefits playing next to Derek Brown. Uh, some scouts have him great as a third rounder. I have him more as a fifth rounder. I do like Javaris Davis. I like Javaris Davis, the player, but his measurables are what's gonna hurt him. He's got terrific ball skills. He shows the ability to make plays with his back to the ball. He's been a good player the past two seasons at Auburn, but he's gonna come in at about five, eight and a half, may not even be five foot nine. He's got short arms and small hands, which is gonna hurt him. You know, he's, it's a type of situation where if he was three inches taller, he'd be a top 45 pick. But I think the size is going to hurt him and push him into the last day, of the, the middle of the last day of the draft.
0: Now, we'll get to our final four teams in just a moment. But before we do, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi at Tony Pauline, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch. Now, Florida bounced back from a brutal 2017 season to go 9-3 and, and beat Michigan in the Peach Bowl last year. The Gators had five players drafted. Two went in the top 100, Juwan Taylor and Chikai Polite, two players who at one point were possible first-rounders. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson also slipped from his draft projection. We'll see what happens with the Gators this season, but they do boast day two talent and a potential first-rounder, In cornerback, C.J. Henderson, the second team All-ACC pick last year. Doesn't have any off-field or injury issues to force him to slide like some of the aforementioned guys from last year. So as long as Henderson performs on the field and declares for the draft, the top 32 is definitely within reach for him. He's a 6'1", 202-pound playmaker, six career interceptions in his two seasons at Florida. Two of those he housed back for touchdowns. Started five games as a true freshman and was a full-time starter last season. So there's definitely still room to grow for Henderson. His teammate in the secondary, Brad Stewart Jr., is another third-year junior entering his second year as a starter. Similar size to Henderson, complete safety who can play both the run and the pass, and a borderline second-rounder. On our board, two defensive ends for the Gators with day two potential are Jabari Zuniga and John Greenard. Zuniga teamed up with Polite last year. He has 27.5 career tackles for loss and 15.5 career sacks. Now he's going to be a bit more in the spotlight. With his teammate gone to the NFL, Greenard is a grad transfer from Louisville. He's going to replace Polite in the lineup after a season-ending wrist injury in last year's opener that derailed his season. Had 15 and a half tackles for loss and seven sacks though in 2017. Should end up forming a nice tandem with Zunino off the edge. Tony, will this year's Florida crop match the hype come April 2020?
1: I mean, it should if they play up the expectations. And why not? I mean, if we revisit a year ago. I mean, who thought in their right mind that Florida was going to win nine games? Who thought that they were going to have the success in the NFL draft that they had? And a lot of these guys came out of nowhere because of coaching and player development. So there's no reason to believe that that can't happen again. And I agree with you. I mean, my top two guys on the Florida board are cornerback C.J. Henderson and, and safety Brad Stewart. I mean, again, Florida has consistently put Real good players from the secondary into the NFL draft, and Henderson and Stewart are another pair. Scouts that have graded Henderson, give him a second round grade right now. I think he's more first round material. He's got to do a better job making plays with his back to the ball, but he's got excellent size. He's got sprinter speed, and he plays fast. He's aggressive. He's exceptional facing the action. Gives it up against the run, very quick up the field, defending screen passes of the run. I just think he needs to polish some of the details of his position, especially making plays with his back to the ball. As you said with Brad Stewart, in my opinion, a complete safety. And we've seen so many of them come out of Florida recently. Good against the pass, excellent range. Quick up the field against the run. Not the biggest guy in the world. He's probably going to come in under 200 pounds, so sometimes bringing opponents down at the point of attack can be an issue for him, but it's not due to lack of effort, and that should come in time as he physically matures. Keep an eye on wide receiver Van Jefferson, the player who uh, transferred from Mississippi a few years ago. He's probably a last-day pick, but he's an outstanding potential slot receiver, return specialist. He's more quick than fast but he's dangerous when the ball is in his hands. Uh, a guy that you can line up a couple different places, uh, whether it's in the slot, whether it's out on the flanks, you can use him in motion. And like I said, it should also be an asset as a return specialist.
0: Now moving on to Georgia here and the Bulldogs might be glad that Jalen Hurts is no longer at Alabama after Hertz brought the tide back to beat the Bulldogs in the sec championship game this past season. But Georgia had seven players drafted Deandre Baker and Nicole Hardman in the first two rounds and several third-day picks. That could repeat itself next April, assuming some of the Bulldogs' underclassmen declare. This should be a fun offense in 2019. Running back DeAndre Swift split time with Elijah Holyfield last season, was still named second-team All-ACC, and should see more than the 14 touches per game he saw last year in 2019. He's got feature-back size. He's a big play threat with the speed to take it to the house. Good receiver out of the backfield. So Swift can really do it all, and as a result, he has a first-round grade. On our board, tackle Andrew Thomas is our other round one grade. He's a first-team All-SEC selection last year. Had some All-America mention as well. He started every game the past two years since earning the right tackle job as a true freshman. Moves well for 6'5", 320 pounds. Now protects the blind side for QB Jake Fromm. And Fromm is a guy who's quite a bit divisive outside the scouting community. Some think he's a close number three behind Tua Tagovailoa and Oregon's Justin Herbert. Others haven't graded on the third day. We don't have him close to the top two, but he's still a solid second rounder on our board. His accuracy can be a bit scattershot at times. He's not a mobile quarterback, listed at six foot two, two hundred and twenty pounds. He has a lot to prove in two thousand nineteen. Safeties J.R. Reed and Richard LeCount were the top two tacklers on the team in twenty eighteen. Reed's a two-year starter, six foot one, hundred ninety-four pounds, flashes ball skills and comes up hard to defend the run as well. And the count it's a bit smaller than Reed at 5'11", 190, entering his second season as a starter on the Georgia defense. Which Bulldogs are you watching closely this year, Tony?
1: Yeah, primarily the offensive guys, which you mentioned, DeAndre Swift. I mean, he's a terrific three-down back, uh, has got the speed to turn the perimeter, has got enough uh, quickness to, to make defenders miss. Beats opponents into the uh, open field and can run to daylight. Solid pass catcher out of the backfield. The question with him is how tall is he? And will he be downgraded if he's not tall enough? But he is a terrific player. Like Andrew Thomas a lot. Again, height is an issue with Andrew Thomas. Or it may be an issue, I should say, for some teams if he doesn't come in at six for five. But when you look at his fundamentals, the way he can bend, the way he blocks with leverage, his ability to slide off the edge, his ability to get out on the second level, he's got to get a little bit stronger, but that should come in time. I agree with you about from, I mean, I have from as a second round uh, pick right now. I love his upside when he's on his game, he's lethal. But like you say, I mean, he sprays passes at times at inopportune times, and he will miss wide open receivers, or he will have guys who are open in the flat, reaching back to catch the ball, even their feet to catch the ball, which uh, leads to a loss of uh, loss of opportunity running after the catch. He's got the upside, but he's got to be more consistent. If he is consistent, He's a guy who's going to go top 45. If he shows the same inconsistency, especially with his accuracy, he's going to drop a bit. I was very high on J.R. Reed after his freshman and sophomore season. He's a fifth-year senior. When I watched him last year, I really noticed a lack of speed in this game, which I think is going to hurt him. Uh, unless there was an injury that we don't know about, if he goes to the combine and he runs in the four sixes, I have him graded as a third rounder right now. There are some scouts who have him graded as a fourth rounder. If he does not run well, he's going to drop deep into the, uh, into the third day of the draft. He's a good football player. I just don't know what kind of speed he has. And then when I was watching the film, it was a uh, third year junior Richard LeCount who really impressed me. Very explosive. He's got that speed. Uh, that Reed doesn't have or didn't show, he's got the range that Reed didn't show. Really flashes on the scene, physical safety with solid ball skills. A little bit smaller than J.R. Reed, a uh, guy who's probably going to come in about five foot ten, five foot 10 and a half, under 190 pounds. But uh, he's a fierce guy who I think you know you can play him at a, a traditional free safety spot and occasionally line him up over the slot receiver. He's not going to be a liability. One last sleeper to remember from Georgia is receiver Lawrence Kager, the Miami hurricane transfer. He's got outstanding size at six foot four, 215 pounds. He shows the ability to be a possession receiver. You know, that Miami offense had problems, especially in the passing game. I think Kager now goes and lines up with Jake from in an offense that lost a lot of receivers, a lot of talented receivers to the NFL last year. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for Kager uh, this upcoming season which will not only help the Bulldogs' offense, but could also help his draft stock.
0: Now, Kentucky is a team on the rise after five sub-500 years from 2011 to 2015. They made three straight bowls the past few years, and 2018 was their best season yet, 9-3 before a Citrus Bowl win over Penn State. They also had a good year in the draft with four selections, including pass rusher Josh Allen to Jacksonville at number 7 and cornerback Lonnie Johnson in Round 2. It's unlikely we'll get any more top 100 picks next April, however. Offensive lineman Logan Sternberg and Landon Young are two Wildcats to watch. Sternberg is a two-year starter at left guard. Small area lineman, but very powerful at 6'6", 320 pounds. Young, on the other hand, redshirted last season after an August knee injury required surgery. Made six starts at left tackle in 2017, and he set the start right next to Stenberg on the left side of the Wildcats line. Safety Devontae Robinson is a guy who should be a full-time starter this season with both Mike Edwards and Darius West gone from the secondary. Got good length at 6 foot 2, runs well and can play both the run and the pass. We have him listed as a safety. The Wildcats depth chart has him at nickelback Either way, he's going to make an impact on the back end. Isn't that right, Tony?
1: Yeah, I mean, last year was a banner year for the Wildcats. There's obviously going to be some fall off there. You know, you hit the nail on the head with Sternberg. There are some scouts that grade him as a third rounder. I'd give him a fourth round grade. But if you're looking for a small area mauler, someone who just annihilates opponents, at the point of attack and someone who really plays with blocks with a nasty attitude it's stenberg i mean he's a guy who blocks with solid fundamentals he plays with great power and, and-, and- basically viciousness and and such a nasty streak. Uh, You're not going to use him in a zone-blocking type of system. In the right sort of system, like a Pittsburgh Steeler type system, I I think he would would really flourish. Devontae Robinson, when he was on the field, and that was a loaded secondary in Kentucky last year, so he didn't get that many opportunities. But when he was on the field, he really stood out, not only because of his length, because of his speed and his ability to uh, flash on the scene and his explosion. You know, As you said, Kentucky likes to do different things with their defensive backs. So with all those guys who were either drafted or signed as free agents uh, last April, or last May, I should say, when the draft was over, uh, what that does is opens the door for Devontae Robinson. I right now have him great as a fifth rounder. If he meets expectations, I could see him moving up draft boards. Keep an eye on Quentin Bohanna, the defensive tackle. Right now I have him as a free agent, but he's a guy six foot three, probably about three hundred and fifty pounds, a natural nose tackle who can overwhelm opponents. I'm a little bit concerned about his size, but he's got a good amount of upside. If the light goes on, I think you could see Bohanna make a big move up draft boards, only a third year junior.
0: Now will wrap up the first half of the SEC here with LSU, who had their first 10-win season since 2013. They beat previously undefeated UCF 40-32 to 32 in the Fiesta Bowl to close it out. They only had three players drafted, though, which is a very low number for LSU. Devin White went in the top five. Greedy Williams fell to the second round. This year, we have four seniors alone with draftable grades, so the Tigers should be better represented in the 2020 draft. One of those seniors is cornerback Christian Fulton. Teams would avoid him last year and throw a Greedy Williams, which speaks volumes when you're targeting an NFL second round pick rather than the guy on the other side. He's got shutdown corner potential at six foot, 200 pounds, only allowed a total of six first downs and touchdowns combined in 2018, but he's not even our highest graded LSU defensive back. That would be safety Grant Delpit, the unanimous All-American last season among numerous other accolades he received for his play on the field defensive coordinator Dave Aranda does a good job moving Delton around to take advantage of his varied skill set and he's a guy that will flash when you watch an LSU game this season even if you only watch one game. Kerry Vincent Jr. rounds out this stack secondary here for the Tigers. Made seven starts last year. He's going to play a full-time role now with Greedy Williams gone. He's also a sprinter on the LSU track team. He's part of the SEC champion relay combo so you know he's fast. He's only 5'10". So the slot may be where his NFL future lies, but nickel corners are starters in the league today. And Vincent has that kind of upside. Now, Tony, there's obviously more to LSU than just the secondary. What are your thoughts on that trio and also some other tigers to watch?
1: Yeah. And when you look at the draft board that we have, I mean, top four prospects two have first round grades. One has a second round grade. The fourth one has a third round grade and they're all in the defensive back seven. You know, there are, it's once in a blue moon where there's a player that just stands out and you just enjoy watching him play because he is so good. And that's the feeling I got watching Grant Delpit. I mean, he he shows a complete game. I describe him as Jamal Adams with better ball skills. He's got excellent length. He's fierce against the run. He fires up field. He's a terrific tackler in space. He, He plays smart, nasty football. He's got outstanding ball skills, does a great job with his assignments in center field, can play over-the-slot receiver. If he improves on what was an outstanding 2018 campaign, and then he tests well, I think Delpit's going to be a very early draft pick. You mentioned about Christian Fulton. And, you know, I like Greedy Williams last year, but when I re-watched the film, what you said was obvious to me. I mean, teams were staying away from Fulton and throwing at greedy williams a guy's got outstanding ball skills terrific measurables he's fast all the guys on lsu are fast as they usually are uh scouts grade him high i mean very high you're talking uh mid first round grade which is where i have him if he improves on uh last season or if teams really challenge him and he meets expectations fulton's another guy who like Delpit is going to be a relatively high draft pick. I think Delpick could be a top 10 pick. I think Fulton could be a top 15 pick. I love Kerry Vincent. I mean, the only problem with Kerry Vincent is he's 5'10 or likely smaller. But he's a terrific cornerback who plays to his speed. As you mentioned, he's a sprinter. He's explosive. He's tough, constantly around the ball. I think he's a perfect nickelback at the next level. Also like Jacob Phillips a lot, the uh, third-year junior uh, linebacker. basically had some of the steam taken away from him and was not the focus. But when he was on the field last year, he made a lot of plays. Made a lot of plays up the field, made a lot of plays in pursuit. He shows great range on the field, goes sideline to sideline. A lot to like about his game. And keep an eye on Justin Jefferson, another third-year junior, the receiver. As we know, uh, LSU has put talented receivers in the draft, and LSU receivers are usually better NFL players than they are college players. I think Justin Jefferson, not the fastest guy in the world, but he fits that mold where he's got an NFL type of body. He's got an NFL type of game and is a guy who I grade him as a fourth round pick right now. If he enters the draft and he runs fast, he's going to go earlier and he's going to be a very good Sunday player.
0: Now, before we sign off for this show, there will be some major changes coming for us next week. Starting August 11th, Tony and I are moving over to pro football network. Draftanalyst.com will redirect to profootballnetwork.com. This was originally announced back in late May. Tony, I know you're pretty excited about this new venture. Tell us a little more.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. You know, I enjoyed draftanalyst.com, but draftanalyst.com was basically you and I concentrating on the NFL draft year-round, which is what I'm going to do at Pro Football Network but the other guys at Pro Football Network are going to fill in the missing pieces or the missing pieces as far as I'm concerned. There's going to be a lot of coverage on the NFL in general, which I never we, we never did it at, at, at draftanalyst.com. There's going to be a lot of fantasy football, which people love. There's going to be information on betting and gambling. Uh, there's going to be a betting and gambling uh, portion to that site, which, you know – we sat down, we had dinner with Thor Nystrom of rotoworld.com, and, and he, uh, he handles that for Roto World, and he talked about what a big piece uh, to sites are these days. So really it's going to be a comprehensive NFL site. There are a lot of young, hungry guys there, both working as writers and in the background marketing and advertising. We're already setting up where we will do a live show from the draft next year uh, in Vegas, so I'm very excited about that. A lot of good things, and basically, I think it'll help complete my game in the sense that there'll be guys there covering the NFL teams. There'll be guys there covering the NFL in general. they will be covering fantasy football. There'll be guys there in case you like to throw a few dollars down on the game, uh, giving some tips or giving some opinions. Uh, so uh, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: And that's it for the 81st episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll wrap up the SEC on our next episode, so tune in next Thursday as we go over the top prospects from big-time programs like Old Miss, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, and more. And don't forget to make your way over to draftanalyst.com just for the last couple days here. We still have individual team prospect previews of write-ups on several players, along with grades for every right player from the programs we've covered so far. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Ripode. See you next week. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.